Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. I'm the host, Travis. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hubazoo Network. You can find out more on hubazoo.com. I want to thank all my sponsors, uh, Joyce Asak of Asak Real Estate, Reaper Detailing and Power Washing, my supporters, Super Savage, Quezon Shaving Company, and Bottom Gun Coffee. And I, I'm just loving how 2022 is getting to a, a fast start. It's amazing. And my guest today is I appreciate you having me, man. This means a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. We we kind of met, you know, through the, the the Facebook interwebs, and you know, it's kind of funny how you know the military podcast uh, community is growing, but it's still relatively small. We all know each other, but I was really interested in folks. You know, Ryan has a very uh, different kind of uh, military background and professional background, so I'm interested in learning more about what you do now with clinical psychology and what your Navy story was like in your transition story. So. If you would force, kind of just tell us, you know, what your Navy experience was like. Uh, well, I went in in 2008, got out of 2013. Um, I was a master at arms, which is uh, the Navy's MPs. Uh, so I spent two years doing anti-piracy and anti-terrorism in and out of Iraq and off the coast of Somalia. And then I did three years of base police, but uh, didn't really enjoy it. So <laughs> decided, you know what, man, I, I'm going to just try my hand outside of the uniform and uh, see where life takes me. So, yeah. oh, I, I, all the MP jokes just come to mind, but we'll move past that. We'll move past oh, that. Oh, yeah. No, nobody invites you to the party whenever you're an MP. No. <laughs> you are the party. You are yeah. the party. Yeah. So, you, you get out. What was your transitions experience like getting out? You know, it was pretty rough. I didn't know how rough it was at the time. Um, I got out in that, like I said, in the fall of 2013. And for the first year, I really struggled. Um, I didn't really feel connected to many people. I felt like civilians didn't understand the sacrifices that I had, I had went through, especially living essentially for the last five years overseas. Um, people just, I didn't feel that kind of camaraderie with them. Like I did with some people in the uniform and, you know, there was a bit of what I call the mourning period and life after the uniform, you got to go through, it's at least a year of just figuring out who you are now outside of the uniform community. And so there's a little bit of resentment. There's complex feelings that go into it. You know, you feel abandoned and cast off after the uniform. And then largely I just said, you know, I got to do something here. I'm spinning my, my wheels. And I thought, well, why not try college again? Cause I had tried that in my early twenties. And I said, well, let's, let's just see where this path takes me. Um, started taking a couple courses in psychology and found that that was really my groove. I enjoyed learning more about human behavior. And I guess the rest is my own personal history. Yeah. Well, awesome. I mean, and, and it's kind of funny you say that because a lot of people, including myself, you, you, you get out and you realize that, you know, we're kind of like strangers in, in our own land. I would, I would actually describe that a very similar. I call it alien in my homeland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, why don't you, why do you do what you do? Well, I mean, it, it was kind of, for lack of a better term, beaten into us. Mm. So you, you transition, you go back to school. I don't know about you, but, you know, I went in the Marine Corps because college is too hard. So I'll show college. 
Yeah. I, uh, you know, what was funny is I, I mentioned that I had tried college before. I just didn't have a lot of the, the discipline I think that it requires, you know, and it's the one thing that the uniform will give you is just a certain dedication to be where you're supposed to be <laughs> on time, which is yeah. something that I didn't have before. And it was just, um, imagine that, that when you go to class, they tell you what's going to be on the exams. It's funny. It's just, if you're just in class, you'll, you'll know, it won't be a surprise. Um, so I found that it was particularly easy after the uniform going back into academic settings because I just had a certain uh, conscientiousness after the uniform that I didn't possess before. So what was it about psychology that drew you to that you know, course of study? Well, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of cliches about why people study psychology. A lot of people think, oh, you're trying to fix yourself, which, you know, I mean, maybe there's a grain of truth in those stereotypes. But I would say that largely I'm scientifically minded. I enjoy philosophy as well. And psychology and uh, has that mixture of science and philosophy together. And that was just that was the selling point for me. I mean, I saw that a lot of the pillars of psychology had its roots within philosophy. And then they were scientifically testing the essentially the philosophical methods. So I was like, oh, I'm in. I'm all in now. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And, and it's funny, you know, we, we, we humans have been around for, you know, thousands of years, tens of thousands of years. But it, we're still like learning about how we operate. I mean, you know, what's what's the most interesting thing you've learned about, you know, human behavior in your in your course of study? The most interesting thing I've learned about human behavior. Wow. Um, I don't know if I could really pin that down. Um, you know, you just kind of end up falling into a certain sphere within the, the discipline. Okay. And largely mine has been under stress and social support. Those are the two areas that I, the bulk of my research has been, has been found within. So I would say that the thing that I gravitate most uh, is just beyond just the stress response to me generally, because it's a fascinating, uh, the stress response is so adaptive, but then it becomes maladaptive at, at a certain point. And how much our species benefits from social interactions, the social support element is just, it is a, an inexhaustible source of intellectual stimulation for me, social support elements. And that's, that's been my jam. That's been my groove thus far. So, you know, for a guy like me, a lot of times, believe it or not, I don't like being around people. I, I am just <laughs> fine being on the, the archery range on my motorcycle away from people. Social interaction is kind of a messy affair that leads to a lot of, you know, upset feelings and, you know, broken promises. I mean, Am I, am I an outlier? You know, what, what would you say, you know, if you had somebody telling you that? Well, no, I mean, like I am largely introverted as well, right? I do better in one-on-one -on -one interactions or small groups. I don't like to be engulfed with like large, you know, groups of people. I find them to be probably a little overstimulating, but I guess when it comes to social support, I use this metaphor a lot. When you're stuck on the side of the road and you need to change a tire, those people that you immediately conjure up into your head, you probably thought of at least two people right there on the spot. Yeah, yeah. 
Those are your social support elements. Those are the people that are ride or die that you know that whenever you're having to navigate a stressor from the environment, those people will roger up and answer the call for help. That's really what we're talking about when it comes to social support. However many people that is, it, it can vary between people. Obviously, the more people that you have that kind of, let's just say that response to, the more you may feel a little bit more prepared to handle environmental stressors. But whether it's two or 10, that's the, that's the element we're looking at. Those people that you know you can count on to handle an environmental demand. That makes sense. That makes sense. And okay. And, and, and yeah, I mean, large groups of people with a lot going on just doesn't really agree with me. I, I do prefer, you know, small groups or, you know, close conversations. Hmm. So you're studying the human mind and, and you're doing all this. And, and, you know, we got connected through, through podcasting hmm. and, you know, really curious, um, you know, what got you into that? I'm fine. A lot of veterans are picking it up, which is great. And whereas a lot of veterans won't talk to a clinical psychologist or practitioner, they will absolutely go on a, a microphone and talk to their buddies about things that bother them, their challenges, their defeats, and, and their victories. So, you know, I'm kind of curious how your clinical side and the podcasting side, you know, meet up. So, you know, what prompted you to start this? So within the mental health sphere, there's, I use this kind of analogy, there's two types of minds, right? You have pilots that are just, they want to jump into an aircraft and see what it'll do, right? And then you have like aviation engineers, they want to know the structural integrity, they want to know force capacity, you, you name it. And so that's typically the where the, the dividing line happens. And researchers tend to lean more towards the engineering side and practitioners land they end up more on the pilot side i am probably more on the research side than anything i do not i do not want to be a practitioner i i haven't i've done clinical hours for my training but that was not exactly where my passions lie so i say that just to say this um what i noticed was that there was a fundamental misunderstanding about cultural issues when it came to veteran populations. Really? There are things about us that make us different than the average patient, right? So at first I was trying to speak to providers of, hey, look, this is what makes a veteran client tick. So you may not be aware of just everyday rub up against that are undermining your therapeutic alliance with your client. And then I started to notice that I was getting a lot of veteran buddies as soon as they found out what my, uh, my, my uh, expertise was. They were asking me all these questions just about the mental health process and who does what. And there was a lot of bad information out there. And I went, man, I, I feel as if there is an opportunity here to, number one, speak directly to the community, the veterans population largely, give them a little bit more information about the mental health process so that they, for two reasons, can be either an informed consumer so that they know what they're going into. And then two, there's just something reassuring whenever the ambiguity or the, uh, the, uh, the unknown gets taken out of a situation, it um, immediately becomes less threatening. So 
I wanted to see veterans utilize social or utilize mental health resources that were available to them. So I thought, well, what can I do at the macro level to just have these conversations with people to put out information from a clinical psych perspective, although I am not a clinical psychologist, just so everybody knows, so that they know um, what to expect going into the mental health space and to just take away some of that anxiety that may be surrounding the mental health space so that they know that there's not going to be somebody that's just waiting to take your guns away, or there's not going to be somebody that's just well, waiting to, to, so to that's get a very, you. That's yeah. a very real fear, Ryan. Because it is. It, yeah. yeah. And because sure. it's happened before it's happened before, you, you know, um, you, you go into a psychologist or go into a, a medical office and, and, you know, I went to the VA one time, they asked me, you know, do you own or possess any firearms? I'm like, you know, what is this? And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys, especially in law enforcement are, are really like shy about doing that. So is what you're doing, trying to flatten that or, or reduce that anxiety level? For sure. And just to clear up something. Okay. Let's talk about confidentiality. All right. Yeah. So that veterans out there listening know what confidentiality is. Okay. So when you go to a mental health provider and you're the client, that's a, that's an important distinction. We'll unpack that in a second. What you say in that space is protected. It is privileged communication like you have with an attorney. Okay. So when you're on there and you're talking to a mental health provider, as long as you're not saying anything that makes that provider feel as if you're at risk, somebody else is at risk, or that like a child is being abused, for example, what you say in that space stays there. And there's a pretty high burden of proof that a, a provider needs to violate that confidentiality. It's a risky thing to violate it. Okay. So I want to kind of put some people's e, uh, uneasiness uh, aside just for a second, just so that you know that that confidentiality thing is iron tight and they can't even be compelled to, to testify against you in court. It is a protected right within the therapeutic space. Now, outside of those little caveats, like if you say something that makes a person believe that you're at risk, like that you're going to hurt yourself, obviously confidentiality has to be breached for your best interest. Or if you're making a threat towards another person, yes. you're going to have to write just those common sense things. And I would say this, if you're going into a mental health space and you're not vibing well with the provider, you need a new provider, you know, just ask for somebody new. It's not necessarily a, an indictment on you as a client. It's not necessarily an indictment on the provider. It's just, there has to be a, a certain therapeutic alliance that has to happen for that to be successful. And so people need to feel comfortable speaking openly and transparently to their provider. If they feel as if they can't, you're, you need to try it with somebody else. It's just personalities can clash and, you know, sometimes people are having heavy things going on in their life. Providers are fallible people as well. Sometimes they're just not on their A game. It's okay to start over new with somebody else. I've done it and it was the best thing I did. Yeah. Well, I, I, I appreciate you clearing that up, Ryan, because it is a concern, um, mm -hmm. especially, you know, when you're talking about their career or a probate court issue or. Yeah, no. So here's, I don't mean to interrupt you. Those are. This is another thing we talk quite frequently on vet with a mic about is I said, if it's, you're the client 
and this is sometimes where this is a cultural issue that we are taking into the, to the civilian world. When you go to a mental health provider in the uniform, the mission comes first, even with the provider. So if you're not able to uphold your responsibilities to the mission, they have to inform your chain of command because the mission is essentially the client, not the individual. Okay. So then the same thing, if you're going, if you're going to a court ordered counseling, the court is the client, not you. So anything that you say to the provider, you can just guarantee that it's going to go right back to the court. Same thing with your employer. If the employer is your client, then they are, what you say to that provider, it can, you can just guarantee will go right back to your employer. It's important to know that in what we call the informed consent. It's like the very first paperwork you sign, and it'll tell you who the client is. If it's anybody other than you, what you say, confidentiality does not apply to you because you're not the client. That entity, entity, the court or your employer, those are the clients. Same thing in the military. We take this thing with us, but it's really important to pay attention to who the provider, who's the clients uh, to the provider, because those are the ones who receive the uh, confidentiality. Well, I appreciate you clearing that up because, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I realize I have a problem. I need help. I go get help. And, you know, half the battle is getting people to understand that they can go for help. But certainly it's an important distinction to understand when, you know, your, 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 your job, whether you're in the military or law enforcement or first responder tells you to go get counseling or otherwise. So I think that's cool uh, to clear up. So you started, you know, your podcast, Veteran with a Microphone. Yeah, it's just Vet with a Mic. I, mean, I said <laughs> yeah, Vet with yeah, a Mic. Yeah, no yeah. worries. No, no, no worries. I, I, I knew that. <laughs> yeah. But, but any, you started this. Mm. What's been your experience getting this started? Because, you know, every, every podcaster, like everybody in the military, has a different story. Mm. And I'm just curious, what's been your experience so far? You know, I... I'm humbled because I think that within our community, there is a strong hunger for just credible voices about these type of issues that disproportionately affect us. But what I have done is paired information uh, with psychological content with inspirational stories of veterans who are doing great in the world, you know, after the uniform. And I've done that on purpose because largely in psychology, we use models right? So, and when you go to therapy, oftentimes that therapist may be modeling socially appropriate behavior for you. So that's what I was attempting to do with that with the mic is here's somebody who's doing really well in life after the uniform. What were the dark periods that they went through and how did they move past them? So that if somebody's listening, they go, maybe that'll work in my life. Maybe I can apply that into my life. So I say that to say this, right? My process has evolved across time. And I've been really humbled with how many people who have reached out to me saying, hey, man, your, your work really is meaning a lot to me. So that really drives me and keeps me going, really brings me a sense of meaning and purpose in what I'm doing. Uh, so the podcasting world generally, though, it is a rough go, right? There's, there's quite a bit of work that goes into it, the editing and it's, it's really labor intensive. I think that a lot of people may just jump on and think it's going to be easy. They're just going to talk into a mic and then they realize that, well, 
there's a lot more to this than I thought, <laughs> but I largely, I have say that I've had a pre-warm reception from the community and that has humbled me. And I just hope I put out good stuff for people to listen to you. Yeah. Well, I think there is an aspect of understanding there is a, a, a curve and, and a substantial one, right? I mean, mm. you know, there are people that just, you know, open a laptop, plug a USB mic in and that's their podcast and they have a lot of fun doing that. And, you know, there's sometimes where there's technical limitations where you've got to understand how sound works and what to do with it. But, you know, I think you, you hit on something is what you're trying to do with bet with a microphone or bet with a mic is create a, 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 an arc, if you will, of people that have faced the same challenges that we all face getting out. And here's how they got over it. And maybe I might not listen to one show, but as long as I listen to some show, I'm getting something out of it. What's the common trait with your guest about how they, you know, hit a speed bump and got over it? Do you notice any commonalities? So I, you know, it's funny. Whenever I was going through clinical literature, right, to do some of my research, I, I was looking at veterans issues and we should talk about why I ended up there eventually, but I noticed that when they were interviewing veterans within their research, they were echoing a lot of the same things that I felt. I was like, holy hell. They were talking about feeling disconnected. They were talking about feeling cast off. They were talking about feeling alienated and ostracized from the greater society. And I went, if that's true to me, and it's true to them, that must be something that we all feel in some level or capacity, right? So I think just hearing that those problems, those feelings that we're feeling are not an isolation to us makes us feel better about it. We're like, oh, okay, fine. Whew. There's somebody else has felt that way too, man, that just, it lowers the tension around it, right? And if you talk about mental health issues, and somebody describes a diagnosis like depression, they may conjure up images of what they think depression is, but it's a, it's, there's a lot more to it than one might into from it. It's more, it's more intuitive. It's less intuitive than it seems. And then people start hearing things, but wait, I have sleep issues. I have, I've had weight gain or weight loss. Oh my God. Well, maybe I am not just experiencing these things by myself. There's a name for it. There's a thing that it's called. And that also makes you feel a little better about it too, right? As soon as you hear that you're not the only one enduring something and that this is what it looked like to this person, and there may be a lot of common uh, overlaps between what you're going with, that, that just immediately drops a lot of the tension out of it. You, have a, you know what something could be. You know that there's a support channel and a community based around it. And you're not all alone dealing with it by yourself. That's really powerful to hear about. And it removes the stigma that are, that revolve around these issues because it's not a character deficiency. It's, it is a, a health problem, just like diabetes. Like you're, when you have diabetes, you're not, there's not a character deficiency. You have a, you have a system problem that you need to go seek treatment for, but um, I would say the, the thing in which we all the interviews have in common are we get out, we feel disconnected, we feel alienated, and we find new meaning in life after the uniform 
in some way. Largely, we find three different ways, and this is from Viktor Frankl's work, Man's Search for Meaning, who was the author of Logotherapy. He was just a brilliant guy, Holocaust survivor, been through a lot, right? So he says that we find meaning through enduring suffering because suffering is just a natural part of life, but you can find meaning in that pathway. But more tangibly, you find meaning in three ways. Working on a worthwhile goal, other people are creative pursuits. So I don't care how you, how you conceptualize those three things. Those are often the things that people talk about on the show. They either have some goal that they have, uh, that they've dedicated their life to achieving. They have found some way of connecting with other people in a way that has brought meaning and purpose in their life or they are using artistic expressions in ways to feel connected to life after the uniform. So I guess in summation, those three are pretty much the way that most people identify on, uh, on the vet with a the mic. There's, it seems like, you know, all kidding aside, there's an aspect of misery loves company or shared <laughs> suffering together it is better than, you know, share, you know, suffering alone. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons our community is what it is, is we have all, you know, by virtue of becoming, you know, active duty or military, there was a lot of sacrifice and suffering involved and that changes us. Right. It does. It does. Well, I mean, because you become initiated into a different culture and that's largely what we're dancing around is the military is a subculture of the United States. And then we are indoctrinated into that culture and then we try to leave the culture and reacclimate into the the larger culture and we have social scripts that we're trying to apply to life outside of the uniform that are maladaptive now and i use this as an example if somebody is late for a meeting and the uniform that's disrespectful right yeah you're yeah you're either being disrespectful or you're attempting to show that you're the one who's important and the other person's not right but in the civilian world that happens all the time people getting stuck in traffic it's not a personal thing there's a little bit more flexibility whereas the social script for the uniform is very rigid and so then veterans come out and they have this military social script and they're having interactions with civilians and they're getting themselves all worked up because they're trying to apply their military culture to the civilian culture and it just doesn't fit. So I think that's a, that's a huge element of it. Just being aware of you got to apply the right script to the right situation. Otherwise, you're just beating your head into the ground for no reason. I certainly do that. I certainly like, mm. okay, where's this, where's this guy at? And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to have a little, have a little chat with him after the meeting. And, and I had to learn to kind of like tone that down a bit. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, we do. But podcasting has given you a way to do this. I have to think in a way that, you know, through your research and clinical work, you couldn't really see it up close for lack of a better term. Mm. Well, yeah, 
I, unpack that a little bit for me. What, what do you mean? So, so what I mean by, by, by sitting down and talking with a veteran in, in a space that you've created, a space where they feel safe and not judgmental, and they're not going to have to worry about, you know, somebody knocking at their door saying, hey, you know, you get to connect with them in a way that I, I think, because if, if I was told to go to the VA right now and sit down with a clinical psychologist, I would be, I'd be like, I'll do anything to avoid that. Mm. But you, whether I, I feel good about myself or not, right? I'm, I just wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. But you yeah. have these veterans come on in this place you have created to have this conversation that has to allow you to, to connect in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and like I said, there's so much negative noise out there about how we're struggling. We know about the ways in which we're, we're having issues, but this gives me an opportunity to talk to people who are not embodying that particular, uh, let's just say worldview. Cause I, I like positive psychology as well. I like to talk about strengths, not just deficits, right? So yeah, connecting and, and, and working with veterans in this way absolutely gives me an opportunity to feel uh, just connected to others. But going back to that, podcasting is an art form too, right? This is a creative pursuit as well. Um, and I would, I would pretty much challenge anybody to see that those three domains, the worthwhile goal, connecting with other people, and creative pursuits are often just mangled up together in anything we're doing because creativity can be applied to a lot of different things. Um, obviously whenever you're involved in a worthwhile goal, like podcasting, you're going to meet a ton of people who enjoy the same things you do. And they, you offer, it offers you an, a, an opportunity to connect with people who enjoy the same things that you enjoy, like you and I, for example. So I don't know if that was precisely the answer you were looking for, but for sure, podcasting has brought me a way to contend with a worthwhile goal, to connect with other podcasters like yourself, and to use a little bit of creativity to find self-expression in the things in which I do here. Well, I, just, I, I, I always like to, to find out more because everybody's reason for doing this is, is different. And the other thing I ask, you know, notice is, you know, there's always a way to say this. You look at, you know, podcasting statistics, you know, sites and people start shows and after 18 shows, they're done, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so you, you, you have, you know, breached that threshold. You're, you're moving on. You're starting to become, even though you, you, you know, regardless of how long you've been doing this, you have found your way to, to make this work for you. So that's kind of why I wanted to know, you know, what the motivation was behind it. And it's also a very different kind of subject matter. A lot of our fellow veterans, a lot of them are, are you know, for lack of better term, sea stories. They're talking about their time mm -hmm. in the service with other buddies. And it's very interesting listening to those, realizing that, you know, I roll back the clock a couple of years, well, a lot of years, and it's just like, you know, me and the sergeant in the five ton heading back to get the missiles from, you know, the, the head site. So what I'm saying is, um, you know, there's different ways to approach this. There's no right or wrong way. And, and I, I, I really welcome what you're yeah. doing because it's different. 
you know, I'm reminded of one particular piece of research that I stumbled upon. And I want to say it was Smith McDonald in like 2019. Not that that matters much, but I just, that's an APA reference. But, but uh, they went through a few different things that veterans tend to do. And there's a certain, we put on our rose colored glasses and we look back at our time in the uniform and we do a little bit of a historical revision, right? And we may not have been as satisfied or fulfilled as we thought we were, like looking back in hindsight. There's a certain nostalgia that happens where we long for this, this time of our lives for something that we may not have been able to articulate, but then often gets misrepresented in this um, I, so it's the sort of je ne sais quoi, right? There's, there's just something, and you know the people who do it a lot, that whenever they revisit their history, they often were pretty miserable in the uniform. They weren't happy. That's the reason why they got out. And that's okay. But eventually you, you can only look backward for so long before you have to start to wonder, is that, is that where your present is? Is that the only place in which you want to, to, to live your life? Because I, I found a lot, let's just say a reasonable amount of time, that in the uniform, we were so future tense focused. The next mission, the next leave period, what we're going to do, the next duty station. You know, all of these things just, it was a coping mechanism to, to just endure what we were doing with at the time. I can do anything for a year, you know how it is. And we get so ingrained in doing that, looking towards the future and just living there, that when the present smacks us in the face in transition, we no longer have that coping mechanism of looking into the future because now the future is this moment in time. And I think what happens is sometimes people may go, instead of being future fixated, they go past fixated and they want to look back at where they used to be or what they used to conceive themselves as because they have yet to find a new identity outside of the uniform. It can be challenging. And I got to tell you, um, it makes sense because some of the people I talk to who have, in my view, the hardest time transitioning mm. are E7s and above. Yeah. Regard, regardless of regardless yeah. of their of their branch yeah i agree yeah. e7s above and o4s and above uh, I, i've had some majors and lieutenant colonels tell me that when they found out that there wasn't a, a, an e2 e3 with their coffee and paper on their desk every morning life got very different real quick it's the loss of status and yeah. when you're in the military generally you may feel like you're an important member of a team. When you're in leadership, you feel like you can move heaven and earth because that's largely the way the hierarchy pivots around you. You know, when you're in 05 walking through a, a P way, as you know, people move out of the way. They step out and, and let you pass. And you go from that to just another asshole walking around Walmart. That's a difficult transition to make. You, you lose a lot of prestige and status in life after the uniform. And a lot of people have trouble embracing the fact that that is not who they are anymore because it's not, you're not in the uniform anymore. You're not a member of the hierarchy and people are not going to render you 
the same, let's just say near worship <laughs> that they did while you were in the uniform. And yeah, it is, it's kind of one of those double-edged swords that there are a lot of things that after service, people in those positions benefit from. Yeah. from from people that they they had before so what is next for your podcast when i say next not like not like next week but yeah as you develop your craft and, and what you like to do what are you looking to do down the road with uh your show so largely i would like to see this to be somewhat of a flagship for a larger a larger project that would encompass more and more types of content creators um, that are focusing in on offering up actionable and in- information for people. Because I, you know, I think you and I talked a little bit offline about I am over the awareness talk, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I appreciate the sentiment, but the awareness conversation only takes you so far. And I think that if we, if we can cultivate a certain type of community that puts out solid information for people that they can double down and actually have, like I said, actionable information, that's what I would like to see the next phase of that with a mic kind of embody. Um, of course, military broadcast radio does a little bit of that, but they're still growing in different directions as well. Um, so I would like to see a community kind of be, uh, kind of pop up around a common vision. Um, that's what I would like to see happen. You know, but as you know, this stuff evolves across time really quickly. I started off just doing episodes that were just me talking into the mic about specific psychological content. And then it evolved into interviews and, and the, the vision kind of changed across time. So from where I'm sitting now, this is the vantage point. I would like to see um, a flagship that would might be a flagship for different style, uh, different types of content creators. Yeah. Well, we certainly did talk offline and I certainly understood what you were trying to do because, you know, like you, I'm, I'm kind of over the, you know, we don't need to do push-ups or ice bucket challenges mm-hmm. for awareness anymore. We need to take action. And it, it's a very interesting uh, pivot point when we start talking about action, but um you know, I just think the fact that you're doing it now and you have been doing it and you have, you know, changed and evolved over time really speaks to what it takes to be in this space creatively, creatively, excuse me. Um, you know, how can people find out more about, you know, your show and the military broadcast network? So obviously I am, I've got a website like everybody else, vetwithamike.com. And you can find a lot of our mission statements and different projects we got going on. Um, of course, I'm also on all the social media platforms and it's, I am not that creative. I'm vet with a mic, right? So I want it to be pretty identifiable. Um, so if you see on Twitter or Instagram, if you see vet with a mic, that's me. Um, military broadcast radio is similar. I mean, they're across all the platforms, um, YouTube as well. And they have mbradio.us is their website. Of course, it is going through an overhaul. So I get it if it's not that user-friendly at the moment. But yeah, it's, uh, I guess that, that's 
pretty much where you can find me unless you want to go with uh, ryan at vetwithmike.com you can always email me there hey ladies and gentlemen i'll have all the links to his social media platforms in the oscar mike radio show post as well as the uh, radio network that he's part of and you know it's a chance for you to hear a different kind of show that does different kinds of things with veterans and you know from a different perspective and i think that's the very awesome thing about the growing military podcast community. And Ryan, I just want to say thank you for coming on Oscar Mike Radio. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I do. Awesome. Well, again, I am Travis, the host of Oscar Mike Radio. I'm with Ryan Cornelius, Navy veteran and clinical um, clinical psychologist researcher. Did I get that right? Well, you know, they, they get a little temperamental if you say clinical psychologist, if you don't have your PhD or something. Okay. I, I, so, yeah, yeah. I, I always mess it up because I'm, like, I'm not really sure. And <laughs> no, there, there yeah. is a hierarchy there. It's like the yeah, military. Yeah, there is. There is. Yeah. So, so you just, is, you just, uh, you just promoted me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, no, uh, I mean, uh, just clinical researcher is fine. And, uh, clinical researcher. And, and again, if you Check out his show, which I really hope you do, and, and like and subscribe and share to all his things on his social media platforms. It's a, it's a different kind of approach to what the veteran experience is. And I've really enjoyed um, a lot of his shows. In fact, the, the, the Forrest uh, Lang show uh, hit close to home because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm talking with Forrest right now. I've been talking with him for a while. So I really, you know, that was, that was cool, man. That was very, very good. And it's just a different style, folks. So uh, check it out. Well, as we say here in Oscar Mike Radio, we are mission in flight. I, I can't wait to uh, you know drop this. And again, you know, all the links to Ryan's work is in the Oscar Mike Radio show post. You don't want to miss it. Thank you very much. <laughs>